in the communist prisons during the communist era. They were known, of course, for their inhuman cruelties, tortures, abuses. Many of the prisoners who survived those communist prisons have remarked that uh, of all the demonic torments they endured, solitary confinement was the worst. The founder of Voice of the Martyrs, Richard Wormbrand, has written a book about his experience called Tortured for Christ. I commend that book to you. He spent three years in a completely dark underground cell, and the guards even wore velvet on their shoes so there would be no sound. He wouldn't even have the comfort uh, of the click of a shoe. Total isolation. We know that to be a torment, isolation. And yet our society, we find ourselves moving bit by bit more and more towards isolation in all sorts of areas. The upheavals of the last two years, that they've only accelerated what was already in motion. Trends of the affluent and technological West. Communication technologies drive us into ourselves. Self-checkouts cut us off from even casual encounters. Online ordering means we don't even shop. And so our circles of interaction have steadily been drawing tighter and tighter, narrower and narrower. Combined with that, we have had the emergence uh, and overpowering voice of the psychology of happiness that demands that we avoid uncomfortable situations at all costs. You see how that combines with, well, going to a store I find uncomfortable. Talking to a bank teller I find uncomfortable. So we invent um, movements of life to aid that psychology of happiness. And again, our circle grows smaller and smaller as we avoid difficult people, unpleasant people, forgetting that we are quite unpleasant ourselves. Well, the, the quest to eliminate discomfort means eliminating contact, uh, and, and the promise betrays us to isolation. The promise of comfort. Japan is a little further down the road than us, being uh, very technologically advanced. And they have a phenomenon called kodakushi. It means lonely death. Every year, I did say year, around 30,000 people die in their apartments alone and remain undiscovered for weeks. That's kodakushi. Uh, in London, it's not just Japan, in London there was a well-publicized case of this, a lady named Joyce Vincent. She's well-educated, attractive. She had been at some point really social. She was well-employed, and she died in her apartment of an unknown cause while watching television. And she was discovered three years later, the TV still flickering. We need some good news. 
We are desperately in need of good news. Our neighbors, our cousins, perhaps our siblings need good news. If this is our trajectory as a people, because this is not how it's supposed to be. We are not supposed to be completely alone. Our maker had different intentions for us. And the good news is what the Lord Jesus speaks to us today from John chapter 14. Beginning in verse 15 and following, he does not abandon us to isolation. He will not do it. Last week, our brother Timothy walked us through uh, this moment, the preceding moment of Jesus telling his students, his friends, that he would be departing. He would be leaving them, imminently leaving them. And then the, they eagerly protested, no, 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 we will follow you through death and fire. We will follow you wherever you go. He had to break it to them. Even if they wanted to, no matter how much they wanted to, they couldn't follow now. You cannot follow me now. Even more grieving, though, was this statement in the sense that despite their declaration, despite what they said that they would follow him through anything, they just didn't have it in them. They were not able to do that. They were, in fact, betrayers. They were deniers. They would cut and run. And their hearts were troubled by that when he said it. It's revealing. Are we, really? We won't stick with you? The shepherd would be struck and the sheep will be scattered. And he had gathered them. He had gathered them, but they still had the bent of rebels. They still had that tendency to wander into the dark of isolation. And that was a fact, and Jesus does not mince words. That is his custom. If you're sick, you're sick, and he will tell you so. But he encouraged them with the gospel, with the good news. Though they have the sickness unto death, and they do have it, though they will scatter, they know the way back. He tells them, you, you know the way. I am the way. He's the truth. He's the life. Though you wander, though you're stuck, though you're scattered, you know the way back. And he promises he is going to secure their place in everlasting life. And now he goes further with the good news. That was last week. He goes further with it. Sitting with them there, the, remember the setting, this is the dim light of the upper room. They've eaten the Passover feast. Evening has come. Darkness had settled. There are probably a few lamps in the room, oil lamps burning. It's dimly lit. He goes on to say <clears throat> that even though he's going away, they are very soon going to experience something they never imagined. He's going to give them a gift. Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, 
whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Good news. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That word there, keep, doesn't mean, well, well, what I grew up thinking it meant. I used to think it meant keep the commandments. That means practice them. Let your behavior be strictly in accordance with the commandments. That's not what that verb is. Keep has many other meanings. <clears throat> Here it means hold fast. Practice isn't even part of the, the semantic range of the verb in this place. It means hold fast. Treasure. Return to. If you love me, you will treasure my commandments. You'll store them up. You'll let them echo in your hearts. He, this idea we're familiar with. It's the words of a precious friend, a dearly beloved one. I still go back to words that Brooke and I, there she is, spoke while we were dating. They echo in my heart. I ponder them. I hold fast to them. When I was a child, there were words, good words, that my parents spoke to me that helped me to know myself. They set a course of life for me, and I come back to them. I treasure them. When I was nine years old, I hope you've had something like this. A lady in my church encouraged me one day. It was just kind of a random passing word she spoke, having no idea that what she said removed rocks in my heart and opened a place for the water of life to come gushing through, creating a course for the Holy Spirit. And God used this simple Christian woman's words to open in me the notion that I could be a shepherd. I could be a shepherd. I kept her words. I kept them. I held them. Words that we treasure connect us to the speaker. And that's often, that's for good and for ill. You also know the experience of treasuring up poisonous words. There are words that have been spoken to each one of us that have been poisoned. And for some reason, we treasured them. We held fast on them. Bad words. And sometimes we need to disown those words. Actively, aggressively reject them because they have a power. They link us. Good words and bad words. So we know this is true for human speech when we say things to one another. How much more when the incarnate God speaks? God's words. Jesus says there's, there's something more to holding fast his words. He told the disciples if they love him, they should hold fast to his words and, it's a linking conjunction, linking the ideas together, 
And I will ask the Father, and he will give you the spirit of truth. He's with you even now, and he's going to be in you. So, hold fast to his words, and you will have his spirit. Treasure his words, and you will have his spirit. The words of Jesus are the words of God. That carry the power of God. The power of God who, when he spoke, took chaos. And his words shaped the earth out of chaos. His words make. His words recreate. And so when his words are welcome, when they're treasured, when his words are held, he is welcomed. He is treasured. This makes sense, right? His words, having a home in us, mean God has a home in us. So Jesus promises that desire and affection for his words is a welcome for his spirit. So that when he sends his spirit, he'll go and dwell where he's wanted. Where is their affection for his words? Where is their desire for his words? That's where he goes. That's where he is, in fact. He reiterates that. He's with you, but he'll be in you as well. What good news this is! So even though the shadow of their impending failures hanging over them in that darkened upper room, and he's just told them, you are going to scatter. You are going to leave me. You are, you're going to fail. He gives them the good news that they're not going to be in that darkness long. He's not going to leave them like orphans. Alone, vulnerable, without inheritance, without hope. He's not going to leave them. And they'll know it. They'll know he's with them. They won't have to wonder, is this the Lord? They will know because he's in them and he's bringing the goodness and the power of the Father. He's bringing friendship. He's bringing comfort. Help from God. Now he's trying to help them understand this before it happens. That having God in them will change their hearts. Having him there will change them. It's going to do something in their affections. He comes back again to love. This is what his words do. Verse 20. <clears throat> in that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. That's a fellowship relationship. In that day, you will know you're in the midst of the fellowship of God. Whoever has my commandments, he says it again, and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him, or reveal myself to him. So there's going to be a new dynamic in your life, disciples. The Almighty God and his ruling son, Jesus, are going to be presencing with you. It will settle upon you. They'll be home with you. 
bringing God's words, arousing then affection for his words. So having God produces affection for his words. Do you know, I know you know this, I know you've seen this, nothing indicates the presence of God like an active love for what he has said. You know, warm, emotion, warm emotions are nice to have. I love to have that, that sense of warmth and comfort and nearness. I love, I love tender emotions. But a hunger, an intense commitment to know and understand and receive and obey God's words, that is a much sounder indication of love for God than warm feelings. Because warm feelings come and go with the weather, with caffeine intake. Have you had that experience where you're feeling really, really good about God? You're just feeling really good about life? And then you start to shake and you realize, oh, it's because I was hammering coffee. My feelings, these religious feelings that I have are connected to caffeine intake. That's distressing. Lots of people hang their sense of their relationship with God on those feelings. Nothing indicates the presence of God like an intense commitment to know and understand his words. What pleases him? What delights him? And to have a desire to receive them, even if they, they strike us as hard. It's important enough that he repeats the idea in different words. Because the other Judas asks, how will the disciples be seeing and recognizing you and knowing, but others won't? Verse 23, he reiterates, love. Love for Jesus. Having unbroken fellowship with God. They, that's inseparable from treasuring his priceless words. If anyone loves me, he says, this is his answer to Judas. How will you show yourself to us? If anyone loves me, keep my word. Cling to my word. And my father will love him. And will come and make our home with him. And that's how you'll see. This is such good news for an age of solitude for the age of loneliness that we live in. It is not God's desire for a person, for any person to be lost and alone. That was not his design, that is not his intention. It does not give the Lord pleasure that anyone should perish, which is to be completely alone. We live in an era of foretastes, this time that we are in, it's, it's a time of foretaste. The temporal world is running down. It's running out. Just as every man's days are numbered, the days of the creation are numbered. But it's a time of foretastes of our everlasting life. When the days run down, we're constantly foretasting. And the Lord does not delight in the death of any man, but if we choose to reject his word, if we reject the word made flesh and we reject what he said, in the time of foretaste, that will be the trajectory of the everlasting. 
because we will be rejecting the speaker of life, the speaker of the word forever. Jesus says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Again, he's not saying, whoever does not love me is not a careful Pharisee. It's not his desire that we be Pharisees. It's his desire that we treasure his words because they're his words. They're his words. So whoever does not treasure up my words, by implication, God does not dwell with him. But the great news is, he has spoken his word for anyone to take up, for anyone to give him welcome. So as bleak as our times feel, and they, yep, there's a significant hope that loneliness can drive us to cry out. Again, as I shared with the kids, God's compared us so often with sheep. While a sheep is wandering, it does so silently. Curiosity is silent in its wandering. Silently it pursues the better grass. It's not until it's stuck, it's trapped, injured, till it finds itself alone that the sheep begins to bleat, cry out. That was the case for me as a young man. This is my testimony. It was loneliness of a kind that I had not known before. That is what softened my heart to the Lord. I'd gone my own way. But his words were there. His words had been sown into me. So that when I cried out, to my great surprise, I found he's there. He is right there. Thou hast not left me, though I oft left thee. And countless people have found this, right? As that God has been pursuing them. Perhaps this is you. God has been pursuing you as you wandered. And it was in desperation that the discovery is made. He's with me. And that he leads us into peace. Because that's what he aims to bring us. That's what he's offering. To treasure his words and be with him brings peace. This thing that the world longs for, that the world will spend all its energy, all the effort, trying to get peace, trying to arrange life so that there's peace, trying to eliminate conflict so there's peace, trying to eliminate discomfort so they feel peace. It is ours for the enjoying if we will only do so. Verse 27, peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This on the heels of keep my words and you will have me and you will have peace. It's God's desire that we have peace. And that can only be found in lasting relationship with him. It comes by his Holy Spirit. It comes by the Comforter. And lastly, having peace with God 
He leads us by means of his tremendous power and grace into peace with one another. We don't have that in us. We are too nasty. We are too rancorous, argumentative, self-righteous, self-interested. We just can't bring about peace. (laughs) But having his power and his grace, he enabled that peace with one another. 2 Corinthians 1 opens with this good word. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort, the same comfort, with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ, we share abundantly in comfort too. If you are comforted, if you have received the comfort of the Spirit, you have that to offer. Would you like to be a comforter? Would you like to be an instrument of peace, bringer of God's sweetness? Would you like our church, I would, to be a gathering of such people, bringers of comfort? The word clearly teaches that we can only share what we have received. And the, So let's hold on to what he said to us clearly. The peace and the comfort of God comes by holding fast to his words treasuring up the words of God, pondering them, letting them reverberate in your mind and in your heart, in your inner being. And those words are alive because they're truth himself. And they make you alive. God's words are more than our words. The Bible is more than any other book. They bring the world to life. His words. They bring the little world that is you to life. So with Christ in you, you are never alone. Being in fellowship with God, you have the grace and the power to reach out to isolated people. We've been given a commission. We're ministers of peace. We're ministers of reconciliation. To this we have been called. To receive the comfort of God, to receive the peace of God, and to share that bought by the blood of Jesus. Oh, Lord, Lord Almighty, you rule the heavens and the earth, and yet you have cared enough about each one of us to come and dwell with us, to send us your spirit, to know us, to encourage us that we are known. I pray that great truth would settle in us, that you know us, And it's your delight to speak to us. In Jesus' name.